Welcome to this episode of Alive and Thriving. On today's episode, I am joined by Melita Caulfield, who is a Canberra mum and a psychology student with a particular interest in shame resilience, vulnerability, connection, and sincerity. Melita has been cultivating a mindful approach to life since 2013. Melita is accredited to teach self-compassion and mindfulness programs for adults and children. And today we are going to have a really real and raw conversation about self-compassion, about mindful parenting, and about how we can support our stress response and just really get back to those precious moments in our life through mindfulness. This is Alive and Thriving, where we tackle all things that stand in the way of holistic well-being and self-care in life and as women in business. Join me for real and raw conversations and inspiring guests who are expert in their fields as we come back to life together, overcoming stress, anxiety, nourishing our mind, body, and emotions. I am your host, Jessica Reed, alternative therapist, life and well-being coach. And if you are ready to grow, heal and thrive together, then you are in the right place. Melita, welcome to Alive and Thriving. It is so lovely to meet you face to face, (laughs) to see you and to have you here. Welcome. Thanks very much, Jess. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Oh, it's very exciting. And, you know, it's exciting too to have someone else from Canberra as well. I've done so many, uh, so many interviews now and people are always all over Australia. And you are the first mm-hmm. that I've actually had. We're in the same territory. We're, we're so close. <laughs> we yeah. We did this in person, really, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Alina, would you like to tell us a little bit about you? Because I have introduced you formally at the beginning of the episode. Could you share who you are, how you got to where you are? Let's let the audience get to know you a little bit. Thanks very much. Um, So I am a Canberra mum. I have a five-year-old son. I am... um, I study, I'm almost at the end of my uh, degree in psychology. Um, And I am... I think it's unusual for me to say this. I've never really described myself like this before, but I would say that I'm a a wellbeing practitioner. Um, So I provide courses in um, mindful Mm -hmm. self-compassion, which I'll chat with you a little bit about today, about what self-compassion is. Um, And I also am accredited to teach peaceful kids and peaceful parents. Fabulous. Thank you. Um, so I, I've been cultivating a mindful life um, for about 10 years now. Um, and I think often the way um, life works, um, some some turbulence in my life led me to sort of, you know, seek out um, a, a more authentic way of living. Mm. Um, and also sometimes the way life works out, I was so grateful for the help that I received in that part of my life that I wanted to share that, what what I gained and what I learned with others. So that's how I came to be here. Wow. It's always, I love hearing when somebody has been through something and then what they have 
overcome and what they have learned from that then becomes it gets turned into I guess from being something that maybe was a a really rough time or a hard experience um, into something that can be really so purposeful yeah the life of others and I, I love that I have a similar story in that yeah taking something that hurt something that was hard and then being able to share it in a way that helps other people to live their best life. And yeah, yeah, mindfulness for 10 years, that is, that is amazing. I always say mindfulness is not something that you learn. It's a fantastic technique for helping anxiety and things, but I see it as a lifestyle. It's not just a technique. Yeah, it's a it's a practice. It's a it's a practice that I think you need to cultivate and integrate into your life. That there will be times when it's not possible to be mindful yeah. um, or self compassionate. Um, but I think having that as the basis, the foundation for the way you live your life and the way you are in the world and the way you respond mm-hmm. to people um, really does become a, a life practice. Absolutely. And for anybody who's listening, who's just thinking, and it's okay if you're thinking this. I hear the word mindful all the time. I think I know what it means. I'm mindful maybe about some things. Could you or would you be happy to just elaborate for those people on, because like I said, it's a lifestyle. It's not just, Mm. like you said, it's a practice. It's something that you need that we really should be cultivating into your daily life. Would you be able to explain to someone who maybe didn't know really what mindfulness was, what it means? Yeah, of course. Um, so mind, mindfulness really is the opposite of mindlessness, um, which is that in that we're paying attention in the moment, in the present moment. Um, but further to that, we're also paying attention in a, in a non-judgmental way. So it's often been explained to me that we're, um, we're approaching a situation or our feelings or whatever it might be um, with curiosity um, and an open mind. Absolutely. And it's something too that we really can, um, well, I think should, but I don't really like to use the word should, but I I really believe it sh- that um, the understanding of mindfulness for children as well has such a big impact and can have such long-term benefits in their lives as well. Is that something that you do? Absolutely. Um, so I think there's a big shift towards um turning inwards um and i don't mean that in a in a self-absorbed way but in a sense of let let's acknowledge and validate how we're feeling um and then we can respond with um you know a calm approach or you know an informed approach Mm. um because so often the conflicts we have in our lives or within ourselves are born out of um, an emotional reaction and we're reacting we're not responding so mindfulness is that opportunity to pause and just sit with whatever it is you're feeling validate it feel it and then and then proceed from there um that that's really all this is it boils down to that and there'll be sometimes when it's not possible to do that and that's fine absolutely perhaps that's where self-compassion comes in Yes, yes. I look forward to talking about self-compassion soon, actually. I was just, as you were saying that, reflecting on um, probably one of my favourite ways that mindfulness has come into my life. When I sort of learnt to observe things with compassion and to sit in those moments, it was when, for me, I was going through a really bad space of panic attacks um, Mm -hmm 
where the panic disorder just didn't really ever seem to stop. <laughs> and I could and I could never get out of my stress response. I was I was always in this state of fight or flight, always having some sort of panic reaction in my body. And it was a really awful time. And I remember mindfulness being one of those game changer things for me where when I really learned to sit in there rather than fighting it, when I learned to name what was going on and Mm -hmm. to observe it through my body rather than, again, becoming engrossed in it and embodied in it and just sitting where I used to be like, you know, I'm dying and this is happening to me. But once you can shift into that space of observation, you know, mm-hmm. things like anxiety, panic, even even big emotions and, and big challenging times, you know, grief, um, when you've got trauma popping up, being able to sit in that space. And I guess also in a way, retraining your amygdala that that, that event is safe. Because I'm going to choose to sit in this discomfort. I'm going to choose to sit in this um, space that doesn't feel nice and that is scary. And my body's having all these responses, but I'm going to sit here and observe it. And every time we do that through an experience, it's a little bit like almost a little bit like exposure therapy in a way. We're exposing mm-hmm. ourselves to the feeling of those things happening. But at the same time, telling that part of your brain that has that emergency response that actually I'm safe right now. I'm safe right now. So mindfulness is amazing. And I know yeah. I'm my daughter, she's seven. And I know that they do mindfulness at school, coloring, you know, breathing and mm-hmm. um, other activities, but I love helping her to be able to observe and identify how she feels. Absolutely. I know. I don't know. You look around my age as well. I think growing up, I can only speak for me, but I know other people in our generation, you know, growing up, that, well, people are uncomfortable with emotion, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You don't cry. It's you don't feel that way. People yeah. are uncomfortable hearing other people's emotion, hearing their stories, um, sitting with somebody who's crying. You know, there's a lot of discomfort around emotion. So that ability to help children, and sorry, I've gone off on a little tangent here, but that ability for children to learn to be mindful and mindfully observe what is going on for them emotionally and physically while that's happening too absolutely game changing yeah it is so our our brain um you you mentioned the amygdala before um it's it's such a really important part of our survival um because our amygdala um keeps us safe and keeps us keeping on um but it's not particularly sophisticated so it really can't differentiate between you know, a real life-threatening threat um, or a perceived threat or a moderate threat, it, it really has the same response. It doesn't matter what is happening. Yeah. Um, and so that's why we can tend to find ourselves getting really engrossed in our response and not being able to separate ourselves from that. Yeah. And so um, mindfulness really is um, the midpoint between two different options, which is, um, you know, denial um, and avoidance behaviours. I don't want to think about that, so I'm going to do this instead. Um, And the other one, which you mentioned, um, and I tend to, you know, fall to to this side too, which is overthinking, over-identifying with what I'm feeling and my situation. Um, And so neither of those options bring us peace. No. Um, and so, uh, like most things, 
balance and moderation is is the key to this. And so it's finding that midway point that I can, you know, honour how I feel without avoiding it, but also without getting engrossed and caught up in it and becoming that feeling and having some healthy distance and and awareness. Absolutely. Um, That's what you said there, not becoming that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a skill. That's a skill because we have to learn and cultivate because our brain doesn't do it naturally. In fact, our brain is hardwired to keep us alive by noticing the threats. Absolutely. And it's hard to, and I know, um, yeah, I talk about this a lot. It's hard because this world that we live in right now, everything can be perceived as a threat. You know, it could be an email, it could be a bill in the mail, it could be a text message, it could be a tone of voice. Um, yeah. It could be how you interpret someone's tone of voice in a text message <laughs> that puts you Absolutely. in a state of stress. It's worry, it's anticipation, it's the not being able to switch off. Um, just, you know, 24 hours being accessible, on demand, fast-paced, highly stimulated, all those things. Um, that keeps us in that stress response. It's the so, truth, yeah. absolutely. And also I think um, I have a theory that, that humans don't do, um, you know, balance very well. Um, and I think <laughs> our, right. our response, our response to, to that way of living is, is to think positively and, um, you know, we've, we've got a real pop culture of, you know, be happy and um, let it go and things like that. But what oh, I think we've done started is... on toxic positivity. You see, I threw my pen down. <laughs> Don't I, get me started on toxic positivity. <laughs> I really feel you, Jess. I really feel you there because I have a I have a thing for it as well and it, it, it bothers me a lot. Um, so we haven't found that midpoint. Mm-hmm. What we've done is we've, you know, we've gone the other way a bit too much. Um, yeah. And so that, that can be really damaging as well because that adds a whole other layer of, um, of self-judgment. You know, oh, I should be being happy. I should be feeling this. I should be feeling grateful. Yeah. I should be feeling zen. And then what you end up with is layers and layers and layers of confusion yeah. and, and shame and you know, yes. just, just general dissatisfaction. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, yeah, sitting, sitting with your difficult things mm-hmm. is a skill. And it's not a skill that everyone wants to learn. Um, it's a skill that everyone, I think, is able to learn. But I think it really depends on, you know, the, the timing and, and your willingness. Absolutely. I truly believe that when you are ready, because being able to sit in those spaces often means having to face a little bit of whatever is keeping you in that space. Um, and I do believe that you will start when, when you're ready, you know. You know, because the the anxiety or the um, depression or what, however it's surfacing for you, the irritabilities, the complete discontentment with your life, whatever it is surfacing for you that is saying, hey, there's something here, there's something here, um, you know, you'll get to a point where you either want to keep living that way or you don't. Yeah. And when you're at that deciding point, you make the choice to start healing and digging in a little bit. For sure, for sure. There's definitely an element of sifting through the wreckage um, and and reforming and transforming um, to something that's more meaningful. Um, And I think it was Anais Nin, you know, um, mentioned that, you know, the pain of staying the same Mm. um, becomes, you know, eventually outweighed by the the fear of change, you know. So so there's the words out of my mouth. Yeah, so it really, I think, and that point comes at different times to different people. Um, So, 
Yeah, and it's and not, not for it's not, some at all, and that's okay. If that's precisely, and and also, you know, it, there's no right or wrong way, you know, or time to do it. If if it's, you know, people might might double and then and then get a bit um, overwhelmed, and I can't I can't deal with this right now. So they'll you know revert to their old ways, and that's fine. There's always more times in your yeah. life to to uncover it and, and absolutely and be with yourself and be your own your own best ally. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. So yeah, that that is mindfulness. Yeah, in a I love that. And those old ways, they will sit with you and serve you until you can no longer grow. Correct. And that's when you yeah. like, that's really, because I do have people ask, how do I know when I'm ready? And the thing is, even though there might still be something in your brain that is going fear, fear, don't want to look at this, don't want to, you'll know that you're ready because yeah. the same things will keep sabotaging your life and you will get sick of that, Absolutely. whatever that looks like for you. And, if, and yeah. that's when you know. That's, That's when right. you know. Yeah. And I truly believe that just as you said, the pain that you sit through, the dis- or even the discomfort that you sit through mm-hmm. um, to face the things that need to be looked at, um, that discomfort long-term, I truly believe, and I haven't met somebody who disagrees yet, <laughs> um, that discomfort long-term far outweighs what you experience day-to-day if you weren't to face that pain. Yeah. Well, there's. It's been said to me that the um, short term. I mean, not long term. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, the the work is the shortcut. Yeah. yeah. So doing that work, that in inner work, is the shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, absolutely. you know, otherwise it's a lifetime of, of avoiding that. Exactly. Oh my goodness, I love this conversation. I I know that there when we're doing that work, self compassion is something that is a really key. Um, oh, I don't really want to call it a trait. I would say skill. Would yeah, you call skill. it a skill? Yeah, skill. Definitely a key skill to help you through that. But even if you're not sitting and wanting to heal and you're not engaging in any kind of therapy, you're not doing anything like that, self-compassion is going to help you through your life as a person, as a woman, as a mother. Um, can you talk a little bit more about self-compassion? Sure. So um, mindful self-compassion has three components. We've really discussed the first, which is mindfulness. Um, It it is possible to be mindful without being self-compassionate, but not the other way around. In order to give yourself kindness, um, you really need to have a level of awareness and mindfulness to begin with. Um, So really this um, this is about cultivating a kind approach to ourselves in the same way that we would offer to a friend who was hurting. Mm. Um, It really is that simple. Um, The second component is common humanity. And this tends to be a difficult thing when we're hurting because we want to normally, um, very naturally, want a um, a bit of self-preservation, which can turn into isolation. Um, We can tend to think that we're the only ones struggling, we're the only ones failing. Um, Everyone else seems to have it so easy. They've all got it. Look how great that person's life is. Um, And common humanity challenges us to actually really believe and see that um, pain is a part of every person's life, every human will experience pain and then quickly on that just because they're not showing it and I just know this comes up so often for me with clients just because people aren't showing it on their public platforms and they're not you're not seeing it in their in what they are choosing 
to show to the world or what they are even choosing to share with you in conversation doesn't mean that people don't have their own things going on under the surface. Of course, absolutely. Just remembering that what people choose to put out, um, just to the audience, remembering what people choose to put out is exactly that. It's what they choose. Yeah. It's what they choose to share. It's what they choose to show. Yeah, it's curated. Um, And so once you you have awareness of, of your situation as opposed to avoidance and as opposed to absorption, um, and you, you're, you're understanding that actually, you know, anyone else in this situation would also be struggling. Like mm. that, that's your common humanity component. Yeah. And then is the chance for, for you to offer yourself some kindness, um, which is the final component, um, rather than self-criticism. Yeah. Um, and self-criticism is, is a really, again, a really natural way to respond to ourselves, um, you know, partly because it keeps us, um safe mm-hmm. and surviving yeah but it can also keep us really isolated yeah um and so self self-criticism so um if we want to think about our threat response as external threats we respond with fight flight or freeze mm-hmm. our response to internal threats is self-isolation, self-criticism, and self-absorption. Mm. And so mindful self-compassion offers you the midway point to all of those three, you know, states of being yeah. and provides an alternative way to live, essentially. Yeah. You, don't, you don't have to be trapped in a, a situation where you're constantly in conflict with people and in conflict with yourself mm. or you're avoiding everything. Yeah, I think it's really important to um, just that point, you don't have to be trapped in that situation because I know that for so many, and it was for me too for quite a while, um, that when those voices are in your head, we become absorbed with them because they're inside of us. So, of course, that thought must be true. It must be a fact because it's coming from me. And I've heard this story so many times before, so now it must be true. You know, whatever I'm telling myself about myself or maybe there's someone else's words that I've adapted that I'm telling myself about myself now. Um, And because they do have such an emotional response and we tend to put so much, well, I guess we put more emotional weight behind the negative hurtful thoughts than we do around the positive ones, right? Because, again, it's protection, it's survival, it's, yeah. That's a very basic biological feature of of us as humans. We haven't evolved out of that yet. So it's really, it is really easy to be stuck in those thoughts and thinking that that is the only way. Of course. And I just love, I really want to reiterate what you said, that you don't have to be trapped in that external conflict or that internal conflict, that Mm -hmm. little voice. And yes, she still comes back. You know, I've done so much work on myself and she'll still come in. I'm just at a point now where I can go, yeah, okay, and put my techniques into place to yeah. separate myself from those or exactly. to notice when I'm falling into a, you know, a rough patch. Um, I've been through a few months of grief lately. So, you know, just that self-awareness to know when I am getting in deep in the hole to then be aware of that. But just beginning by believing or even considering the possibility that for you, those overwhelming thoughts that just keep you stuck in that place and they feel like they're never going to end and they feel so, so real and so 
prove for you mm-hmm. that there is possibility that they don't have to be. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really important to mention here that this is a like it's easy. You can see how um, well-being culture has co-opted this mm. conversation so that you know, oh, it's easy to just shrug off all of the cares and all the expectations. Um, you know, it's actually not that easy and or simple. And, you know, people's situations, they're, they're, you know, the face, the situations they're in, the circumstances they're living, living in um, are all very different and present different challenges. So this isn't just about, you know, change your mindset and be positive. Um, and nothing bad will ever happen. That's right. No one will die. Nothing will happen. Yeah. <laughs> no one will get ill. Change your mind. It's so unhelpful. Perfect. <laughs> it's so damaging. And we live in a particularly, um, we live in a society that values production above all else. If you're not doing something or producing something, what value are you? Yeah. And so... You know, I really think that part of part of this work involves, you know, identifying some of those myths, mm. accepting some of the challenges that come your way, not lying down and taking them, fighting fighting for social justice where where there is injustice, but at the same time recognizing what you can control, what you can influence for yourself for your own peace. Yeah, absolutely, and that is so so important to know. Like, yeah, life doesn't stop happening just because you heal. Or just because you face the big scary things or you might be able to work through it and get to a good point with it. Um, Just because you've done 10 years of mindfulness or all the things that I've done, just because you've done those things um, doesn't mean that you still don't deal with real life. You still don't, you know, blow a gasket or um, as a friend of mine would say, flip your lid. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know, you don't, you don't do that. You don't, sorry. You do still do those things because you're real and you're human. And yeah. you do need to have that self-compassion and that acceptance that you are going to, that those things are going to happen. But having some tools to support yourself through that when you do get to that state, like knowing how to cultivate mindfulness in your life or, you know, I love EFT and, and other mm-hmm. tools as well. But having those tools to help you when you are aware and that self-awareness, I guess, is probably the number yeah. one tool that we should start with. Agreed. Um, you know, that's that's where you're going to either sink or swim, really. Correct. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, great way to put it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that mindfulness um, means sitting on the meditation cushion and being zen for, you know, the first 30 minutes of your day. And it, it can look like that for some people. But often I find the ways that I really appreciate um, mind, and, and I'm mindful in my own life is, what we call informally and that is using my senses to be present in the moment so um there's a reason why we have the saying you know smell the roses Mm, you know we're literally talking about using your five senses to engage in that moment and make it meaningful and this is where I come back to the the opposite of mindlessness because you don't want to get to the end of your life and realize you haven't paid attention to those moments yeah they're there they're there for the taking and it could be as mundane as I feel the soap bubbles when I'm washing the dishes yeah you know we're not talking about some grand gesture here no that that becomes then another chore that I have to fit into my day there there are moments to be had that you can make them meaningful no matter how mundane absolutely it won't be all the time 
Mm. It won't be all the time, but they're there for, for the taking if you, yeah. if you can find them. Absolutely. And thank you for clarifying, you know, that for people who feel like mindfulness does have to be that meditative state um, to take that pressure off. There's actually, so mindfulness, as we were just talking about, obviously is defined by observation. Zen is defined by being. So yeah. they're actually two totally different meditations anyway. <laughs> so while yeah. you might have a mindful meditation, which you can absolutely do, as you just shared, you could also just turn that everyday mundane task of washing the dishes or even just like brushing your hair, noticing, yeah. you know, the sensations, noticing in the shower, observing the water as it comes down, observing how it feels as it touches your skin, how it smells, um, and even the senses that come in through your nose, you know, is it, um, uh, you know, damp from the heat or is it a bit cooler? You know, you, all sorts of things you can notice and turn any little situation, any walk, um, yeah. anything into I a mindful activity for sure and and these are the these are the um the little things that we can give ourselves through the day to help us with you know things like caregiving fatigue um which you know they, they just take the edge off they give they give back to you they fill your cup yeah um they these are the the things that we can teach our children so that they don't that when they're overwhelmed i'm in that right know, now it's the middle of school yeah <laughs> I'm in caregiving fatigue right now. I love my children dearly, but after you know a week of forty degree temperatures with my youngest and and um, my first break only being about three hours ago, oh my goodness! And yeah, yeah. I, I yeah talk to me about caregiving fatigue. What does that look so, like? So, well, well, really, um, this can this can the way we we understand caregiving fatigue. Um, is through an experiment can, conducted in 2014 by Tanya Singer at the Max Planck Institute. Um, and what, what Tanya and her colleagues found is that too much empathy can lead to caregiving fatigue. Mm. So we, we cultivate empathy um, in order to um, bond with and provide caring a caring attitude and behavior to our loved ones that could be our parents um, our children other relatives or it may be required of you in your job um, but what Tanya and colleagues found is that a compassionate response is a slightly different quality and essentially it's that um, perhaps not engaging your own your own response. Your your if I if I have compassion for you, Jess, when you're struggling, um, I wish with all my heart that I could change your situation, mm. but I know that I can't, yeah. and so I'm just providing a, a sense of loving support, even yeah. though I can't really change it. Yeah. As a parent or other caregiving um, role that you might have, you're so invested in that person. You want them to be well. You want them to be happy, and you want them to succeed. And you invest your own. You so you have an emotional response when they're unhappy, when they're not succeeding, when they're not doing well. Yes, and that's a big thing to watch out to for any of my practitioner friends listening. <laughs> you know, in these roles that we are in, um, that 
empathy burnout. Um, yeah. yeah, caregiving fatigue, empathy burnout is a very, very, very real thing. Yeah, um, it is. And I guess, yeah, as you say that, I'm just sort of thinking I have such structures in place for me as a practitioner, energetic ones and mental ones and grounding ones, all these things, all these routines and things that I do to keep myself um, in a space where I can empathize with my client, but I'm not taking in and taking on what they are bringing out to me. But I don't so much do that as a mom. Understandably, because it's a different yeah. relationship. But there are things that you can do to, to help um, to help that caregiving role um, become one that is less draining and perhaps a little bit more um, more giving back to you. Mm. Um, and that that requires practice as well. Yeah, absolutely, and probably a lot of self compassion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so the peaceful parents and peaceful kids courses I do, they um, they are complementary, um, but they are separate. So, parents attend the parents one, and children attend the children's one. They're not okay. combined. Um, and is there and an age like the children? At the, at the moment, um, so I can facilitate peaceful kids for um, ages between 7 and 12. There is a modified version for ages 4 to 6, um, but I generally tend to stick to that primary school age. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is about um, culture, understanding the stress response, which we've mm. talked about, fight, flight, freeze, and what your brain's doing, yeah. um, understanding what you can do to keep calm in those times, you know, sit with it, all of the things we've talked about. Yeah. Um, in the parents' Behind one, the bathroom door. <laughs> yeah, I had an episode that. where I shared that I literally it was about using EFT in the moment. And um, I shared a story of mine where I literally, my kids, it was just one of those, well, I'd say it a day, but it's been a build up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and we as mums, we're human as well. We have so many things going on for us, as well as that, like, that responsibility of looking after our little people. Mm. And for me, that like, I was like, either I was going to absolutely lose my mind. Or I just sat behind the bathroom door <laughs> tapping, tapping and crying, yeah. tapping and crying, which, you know what, I calmed down. And that was a better choice for me than the alternative, which is Absolutely. my fight or flight response wanted to do, yeah. which I've done in the past. And it's awful to say, but I, I'm happy to admit that so anybody else feels seen or heard. Yelling is my yeah. alternative. Absolutely. And, and I'm really glad you shared that story. Thank you. You know, we have all faced those moments as parents where we're, we're our, our own discomfort is ratcheting up and all our yeah. buttons are being pressed. And so um, this work just offers you an alternative. Um, it, you know, it's not an alternative you're going to be able to employ every time. Yeah. But if a bit like anything, if you can start bringing that in and integrating it in, then yeah. it is always going to be better than the alternative, which is to, you know, create a rift in the relationship between you and your child. Absolutely. And I would also say another thing, uh, and that is you know, when when those moments happen, when you do lose your call, a very, very big key is how do you repair at the end of that? Absolutely. So, that conversation, yeah, is yeah. so important. It's yeah. um, it's closing, it's closing that cycle for them so that they don't, sure. so that they then don't, uh, what am I trying to say? believe that they are the cause yeah. and that it's their fault because 
uh, I'm actually, you probably were going to explain this, but oh, no, that's fine. for a child, you know, the world revolves around them. They are yeah. the center of their universe. And so the moment mum or dad or somebody may lash out, um, may have some kind of emotional response, they don't understand that mum just opened a big bill and had a little tiff with dad and had something else happen. They just see mum acting the way they did to them and so therefore must be their fault and so the most important thing you can do no matter what you do is just close that cycle mum was feeling whatever it was because xyz you don't have to tell them all all your personal reasons if you don't want to depends on your relationship and their age and whatnot but Mm. it's not your fault I had big emotions and I'm sorry I yelled or I'm sorry I'm yeah close the cycle (laughs) absolutely perfect yeah you've got to do that repair work I think that otherwise children internalise their experience. Absolutely. Which is is what you said. And so much of our early years, and I think generationally this is important, um, generationally parents didn't close that loop. No. They didn't do that repair work. So we've got a lot of, you know, adults that are currently adults in the world who were very damaged from their early years because those were the messages they heard. Absolutely. Even if they weren't intended to be those messages, that's what that's what was heard and internalized and felt in a very very real way. And there was there was nothing else. So, um, in terms of you know strategies about how to how to do that, um, you know this. I mean, these things can go for you know big big tumultuous arguments, but also you know just everyday worries um, and anxieties. you know, having a, a, a box or a, a tub or a, a book where you can have a conversation um, or put your worries down. Sometimes, you know, our worries can really distract us from getting through our day um, and can sap the joy out of what we're doing. So having a space, there's an app called Worry Time, um, having a space to, yeah, having a safe time. space to put those worries. Yeah. And come back to them later. And then you can problem solve as opposed to just obsessing about them. Um, having a, um, a conversation book between you and a partner or a child who obviously can read and write. Because um, parents aren't always available, emotionally available or physically available when those, when their children want to talk to them. Yeah. So having a, an intermediary in the form of a book means that mm. children can write things down. It's less confrontational. You know, parents can, of an evening, go back through the book, write a response, yeah. and that's a really nice way to kind of get through some of those things. That, and it doesn't have to be hot and heavy. It could be even as playful as, you know, um, all your in-jokes in your family or thanks for dinner or something like thanks for taking the dog for a walk. Yeah. Um, a way to build and maintain that relationship. Um, I think timing, timing can be really tricky because our our children want pieces of us. Mm. They want all of us, really, and we're not always yeah. able to give that. So, oh, I'm sure, and I'm sure, so many of us really felt that through lockdowns and homeschooling. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, I, my personal situation at that time, those times was Talia was first preschool and then kindergarten, mm. but Amelia was, I think, six months and then eighteen months, and you know, trying to split your time. And I know so many people will be able to empathize with this you know you're trying to split your time knowing that you're still trying to work and in my case I was building or studying first then building business and you're still trying to do these things and your children like well mum's home so you know she's got to give me her time um yeah 
Yeah, you can't, you just can't always be emotionally available or you might be going through something. When my best Mm. friend passed in July last year, I was not emotionally available at stages when my kids needed me. And I was, you know, Mm. at at that point for me, it was just having that close the gap conversation. Mum feels this way because it's not about you. It's about this sadness. But um, I know for me, I can say this, I struggled, boy, I struggled because there's a guilt as well about not being yeah. emotionally available to them too. Absolutely. And not only to them, to my partner, to, to anybody at that stage, I stopped seeing clients for a few weeks. Like it, I had to not be emotionally available at all. Yeah, it, of course. Yeah, which is and okay to do. It is. It is yeah. okay. I think I think all of this comes, comes down to that, you know, um, giving ourselves permission to be humans. Yeah. You know? fallible yeah at times we're going to be wise at times we can do this work and other times we can't what do I most need in my life right now what do I need to hear can I give that to myself can I give myself permission to do x y and z or not to do x y and z um and so I think asking at least asking ourselves these questions um is is a really big step in the right direction from previous generations where it was literally you know keep calm and carry on and the show must go on all the time even if you're dying inside yeah Um, push it back down yeah and even if you're going to kill your kids in the process you know we're all going to survive I'm going to put those questions in the um, show notes. So what do I, what do I need? And I love that question. What do I need to, I think you said, what do I need to hear right now? Yeah. Um, What do I need to hear right now? That's a big one. What do I need to hear right now? I'm just trying trying to turn my camera back on at the same time. And I clicked another button on my computer. (laughs) There we go. What do I need to hear right now? And what were the other questions that you can stop and ask yourself? Um, what, what do I need? What do I need to hear right now? What can I, what can I offer to myself? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think even just starting there, the rest will come, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the good thing about this work is that, you know, when you start to attune to what you need, you also can attune to what others need as well. Yeah. And so in terms of our parenting relationships with our children, like we can start to read between the lines and sense when they need something because we're yeah. we're aware of it you know and you know children keep testing us when their needs aren't met yeah absolutely. you know and and you either spend the time meeting their needs you know and helping them find their way through a difficult emotional situation or you spend the time repairing it later either way you spend the time yeah absolutely you know? And that self-awareness for you helps you to become more present for them because you're less triggered as well. So yes, you're going to recognize more. You'll be able to read more between the lines. You might be able to see that your child's not actually angry right now, but they're internalizing something and rather than responding back to them or reacting back to them, you might want to tell them, here's a safe space. Talk to me when you're ready. Um, All those things. But if you are allowing yourself to sit with the discomfort of your own feelings, um, which like you said before, generationally, we've typically been taught not to do. We suppress and suppress and what we resist will persist and it will show up in your mental health and it will show up in your physical health and and you will feel it in your body. Um, And you will, yeah, you'll know, but um, 
when you can sit with the discomfort of your own emotions, it will then allow you to become more comfortable with sitting in the discomfort of someone else's. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big thing for your kids. For sure. And you're offering them that safety, that, 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 that anything they bring to you is safe, like you are the safe space. And I don't mean, um, you know, tolerating poor behaviour or rude behaviour, but I just mean that, you know, your, your love is not conditional upon their behaviour, you know, Absolutely. which is what I think generationally so much of us have felt Absolutely. historically that, you know, I we no, why, ourselves, wonder why we all have anxiety. <laughs> yeah, precisely. We've worked ourselves to the point where, you know, people will only love us when we behave a certain way. Yeah. You know, and I think I think a lot of our our pain comes from from that you know very false core belief. So being able to to shift the narrative for our for our children is really vital. Absolutely. Oh, I have loved every bit of this conversation, Melita. Can you please tell us you have a course coming up? I believe I do. Would you like to share a bit about that, and then also tell us um, where we can, how else we can work with you, where we can find you on social Lovely. media yeah thanks Jess um so I have peaceful parents courses coming up in February and March um they're four weeks and two hours in two hour blocks so you, it's an investment of time of eight eight hours um oh sorry yeah two times and are they delivered over online or are they live um no it's all face to face yeah um locally in Canberra mm-hmm. um peaceful parents and peaceful kids um, are available all throughout the country for listeners interstate. Um, and so for for listeners in the ACT who want to come to a Peaceful Parents course with me, um, I'm happy to offer a discounted rate um, oh, for lovely. attendance. Oh, thank um, you. So it's, um, I've got an introductory rate of $99 and I'm happy to offer that for $79. Oh, so feel free, to, feel free to mention that. With so the whole group. course for $79? Yeah, that's right. Oh, my so, goodness. So if anyone here listening to this podcast um, wants to make sure you mention it to me so I can make sure I Absolutely. provide that to you. Um, so Peaceful Kids courses will be coming up in later in the year as well um, and Mindful Self-Compassion courses. If, if there's interest, I haven't got any dates set at this point. Yeah. So my business is called This One Too and I chose that name because um, someone who I look up to as a mentor um, she's a, an Australian living and working in the US. We were talking about self-compassion. We were talking about compassion. And she said to me once, compassion for others and this one too. And she pointed to herself. Um, and so that, that has stuck with me for the 10 years. Yeah. You know, we, we give our compassion very freely to others. You know, more often than not, it's something we, we we want we want to offer to others, but we really struggle to offer that to ourselves. We struggle to offer that to this one too, this person too. And so I based my entire business around that phrase for that reason because I think it is just perfect. Um, so, you know, on Facebook um, or, or my website, this one too, Canberra, and you'll find me. Perfect. And I will link it all in the show notes anyway. So you can always scroll down and, and I'll link it directly to the website, to Facebook too. But just I know sometimes, you know, if you're walking and listening, thank you so much for being here today. Um, thank you for sharing your insight and your wisdom. 
Um, and I know anybody who listens is going to take so much away from this conversation. So thank you very much. And I highly encourage listeners to reach out to Melita and, you know, if you're interested, peaceful parenting, mindful parenting. I know I need to learn even more about that. As I said, I can do it for me, but bringing it in as a mom when you've got that whole other emotional level of attachment is just, it's another story. So I highly encourage you to look into it because it will be well worthwhile. Lovely. Thank you for having me on this podcast, Jess. I appreciate it. Anytime. Maybe we could come back and talk about toxic positivity. (laughs) I can't be in, I'm there. (laughs) You have been listening to Alive and Thriving by Inspired Life Collective. Did you know that you can help us to impact even more women on their well-being journey simply by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review. If stress or anxiety, life or business has got you feeling inside like you are just busting to come back to life, then I invite you to book a discovery call with me so we can chat about how Inspired Life Collective private and online services might be able to support you through your journey. I am so, so grateful to you for being here and having me in your ears. So until the next episode, just remember that you were born to thrive.